When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from the TSL offices here in Blacksburg. I'm your host, Evan Hughes, and pleased to be joined this week, as always, by Tech Sideline founder, Will Stewart, and to my right, managing editor, Chris Coleman. Guys, we've got a little Danielle Dax leading us off, as we talked about last week, Will, so I think we might need to start making this a trend. Whatever we talk about your Twitter bio last week, we started off the podcast next week. We can do that till we get in trouble, sure. But, but I, honestly, I don't think there's anybody out there looking for copyright violations of Danielle Dak's music, so I think we're safe this week. Guys, obviously a different week, uh, one that I think we will remember for quite some time going on in the world of college football, uh, but the fact that Virginia Tech and East Carolina will not play their football game this weekend. But before we get to that, Chris Coleman, how are you doing this week, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I was, I'm, you know, I'm actually more upset about my tailgate getting canceled this weekend than the game getting canceled. I, I, I did see there were some students on Twitter asking, would, would tailgating still be a thing this Saturday? Because it's a 24-day gap until the next my, home game. My, my, my tailgating spot is at Smithfield, so uh, I, I could probably get away with it. Historic Smithfield. That's right. It's very cool. It's a, it's a real nice grass lot. It's a bit of a hike, but it's a really nice tailgating experience. I'll have to uh, I'll have to hit that up sometime. Maybe we'll have some TSL fans go over yeah. and see what it's all about. So we've got a lot to talk about on today's podcast, folks. We'll be talking about uh, the Virginia Tech-East Carolina game that is postponed, hopefully to a later date, uh, what both schools have been talking about. We'll talk about um, how that decision went down and, and what Will and, and Chris think about that. We will recap the William & Mary game and... And we will also have your Twitter poll question of the week. And we'll start off the podcast before we get going with what's in Will Stewart's Twitter bio for this week. I don't know. You have to look it up and read it. I, uh... He forgot. It must not have been a very compelling quote. I don't know. It, it, it's actually a kind of a difficult quote. So uh, it's better that Evan read it. Every now and then I spend my time in rhyme and verse and curse those faults in me. Yeah, so identify that one without Googling. And it was interesting. I put it on Twitter and, well, we can talk about it later, but I put it on Twitter and you always find out when songs have been redone because some people identified the lyric as being from by a different artist than I heard it from. So, again, we can talk about that. We'll get to that a little bit later in the podcast. What is the exact song title in Will's Twitter bio? Of course, this week and every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is Proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm. Dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free cons- consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. All right, guys, let's jump right into it. Of course, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday afternoon, and the Virginia Tech-East Carolina game officially canceled yesterday. Uh, the official word coming initially from the ECUPirates.com, the ECU Athletics webpage. And, of course, I think the number one thing I would love to start off this podcast is saying that, you know, our, our thoughts, and I know especially my prayers going out to everybody who's going to be affected by uh, Hurricane Florence. Obviously, this is a situation that nobody wants to go through, and it's unfortunate. Uh, but we are seeing the effects that it is going to have here in the sporting world in college football. First of all, starting with you, Will, what were your initial thoughts? thoughts when you saw the game was canceled yesterday uh i was surprised because it was announced by uh, east carolina about what time would you say that was oh, Chris? Uh, let's see about five o'clock because uh it was it was announced as soon as virginia tech's media session was over and tech's media session started at four yeah so virginia tech's media session they do two coaches and then a handful of players 
and I left the interviews after the two coaches. Actually, I was actually there for Trayvon Hill's uh, portion of it. Came back to the office, and it had been announced. So this is probably sometime between 4.30 and 5 o'clock. Tuesday, Whit Babcock had said on Twitter that he was that they were evaluating the situation. He was in communication with all sorts of people, and that they would have a decision on Wednesday. So I was very taken aback because of not just the timing, but the way it was announced by East Carolina, and, and the headline said something like, ECU cancels trip to Blacksburg. Didn't say they were canceling out of, out of the game. It, I thought that was strange phrasing, strange you know. Yeah. And then I got about the business of uh, putting it up on TSL, and, and, of course, Tech immediately followed just a few minutes later. But you could tell, I could tell, looking at the way things unfolded, that ECU did that on their own. I don't think they I don't think they communicated with Whit Babcock and Virginia Tech at all. Tech wasn't expecting it. Um, five minutes before yesterday's media session started, a Tech spokesman came in and talked to us, the media, and said, "Look, guys, here I'm going to tell you everything I know. Um, we're still talking to East Carolina, and there's going to be an announcement tomorrow." And then I asked him, "Is it going to be an AM or a PM announcement?" And I, he said, "I couldn't tell you, but they're going to talk again in the morning and blah blah blah." So Tech was blindsided, I think, when ECU made that announcement an hour, about an hour later. And I do want to read the statement that Whip Babcock put out on Twitter on Monday and then the statement that was released uh, yesterday in Virginia Tech's release. So Whit Babcock, athletic director of Virginia Tech, said on Monday, uh, his tweet, quote, Our staff and obviously many experts are monitoring weather situation in coordination with ACC, ECU, and others. We may change this plan, but as of now, we will have an update regarding the game on Wednesday. Most likely nothing today or tomorrow. Hashtag stay tuned. Thank you. Now, the statement that Virginia Tech put out, I would say under an hour of when ECU had put out their statement. This is what Whit Babcock had to say in that statement saying, quote, we will do what's best for Virginia Tech moving forward as it relates to East Carolina in the game. We certainly understand the need for safety, of course. We just felt that tomorrow making the decision then would have been more responsible and accurate. We informed ECU of this multiple times. So it seemed like on Monday to me that everybody was on the same page. And I personally was impressed, and I was really thankful to Whit Babcock for putting out a statement to letting the fans know, hey, this is what's going on. And then it just seemed like that that the plan did not go the way that at least Virginia Tech had intended it to. And so if you can read the the last part of Whit's statement, that, that'll be that's when the fun started. So can you pick that up and, and, and reread it? The last part of the statement was, we informed ECU of this multiple times. That, uh, that has a little bit of a, a miffed quality to it that isn't playing well you know, on social media, if you, assuming you care about social media. It's, it's just, there's so many facets, facets to this, and it's hard to know about where to start talking about it. Because I, I always tell people, people will ask me questions, and I'll say, well, I'm worried that the first thing out of my mouth is what you'll clamp onto, and that's what you'll remember. But there are a lot of aspects to that. If you, if you want to look at it from East Carolina's standpoint, I have no problem with their decision. To that. that's, that's their decision. Whatever they need to do to feel like uh, they're taking proper care of their, their staff, their, their players, families, all that kind of stuff. I have no problem with the decision. I do think that they bungled how they handled it. Um, you know, all of these parties were talking to each other. And then ECU just kind of went off on their own and did their own thing, and Virginia Tech was caught off guard by it. And now, as we sit here at uh, almost 2 o'clock on Wednesday, the storm is tracking further south, and it looks like this game could have been played. That doesn't really matter, okay? It doesn't really matter. The Hurricanes going through North Carolina. To some extent, it's going to cause some issues. Um, so somebody on our message boards phrased this really well. They said um, – let me try to get this right. They said, uh, words the effect of a lot of other schools were already moving on this in North Carolina on Tuesday. NC State, UNC, they were making decisions. And it's everybody throws the word optics around. I kind of like to use it. It's bad optics for ECU to appear to be waiting on Virginia Tech. So there's that aspect to it also. But that's still, I don't think that excuses ECU's decision to just have their little cannon in the end zone go off unexpectedly, you know, without letting Virginia Tech know it was coming. Surely 
they're acting AD. They don't have an no, actual but, athletic director right but now. Technically, I don't even think they have an acting AD. He's like special advisor for athletics. So, so that's another thing that kind of has to be factored in here is that if you're going to criticize the way ECU handled it, be aware that they don't have their normal hierarchy of decision-making in place. And people make mistakes. When they're, not, when they're under a ton of pressure like this, they, they do make mistakes. And, for example, Witt adding that little bit there at the end was probably a mistake. You know, he's getting roasted for it on, on, on Twitter. And so if you go look at Witt's Twitter feed, which I did this morning, his first original tweet or his last original tweet is the one about making the decision Wednesday. If you click on tweets and replies, you get Witt involving himself in three threads where he's getting raked over the coals and trying to address them, say, you know, sorry, that wasn't my intention. He tweeted like that about three times, and then I think he just said, i got, I got to stop doing this, and he just backed off. It is also worth mentioning on the initial press release that was put out yesterday, those quotes have been since removed in that press release. You know, uh, so when I put the article up on Tech Sideline, I cut and pasted ECU's press release and published it. Virginia Tech's original press release came out right after that. I cut and pasted and added it to it, and there was no quote in it. I it, think they went back and added that and then and took, then took it, it out again. Oh. Yeah, so. I think – I think Tech fans are being a little insensitive to what it's like for Eastern North Carolinians to go through hurricanes here. I know everybody remembers Hurricane the Hurricane Matthew game fondly a couple years ago when Virginia Tech you know, stomped UNC 34-3 in Chapel Hill. But what most Tech fans don't realize is 26 people in North Carolina died that day in that hurricane. And meanwhile, Virginia Tech is playing North Carolina, Notre Dame is playing NC State, and there have to be a certain amount of, of first responders at those games, right? So these college football games are sucking up these emergency responders while in other parts of the state people are dying. Right. I mean, that's just stupid, and it's wrong, to be quite honest. Those games never should have been played. They never Um, should have. uh, East Carolina had an experience in that same hurricane, but instead they had to fly to South Florida to play a game that weekend. So they flew down. that, That hurricane's coming up from Florida to North Carolina. East Carolina flies down through the hurricane, which is completely irresponsible, just to play a football game. And then after the game is over, they had trouble getting uh, getting back. They, they had to um, take several different flights. Their team had to stay in a couple of different Didn't hotels. they land in Richmond or they, something? They landed in Richmond and had to bus to Greenville. Uh, I mean, so it cost them a day of rest, a day of preparation. I don't know exactly what they do on, on Sunday, the day after a game. So their travel plans were wrecked. Because, uh, because and, and they played in Florida, and they were trying to travel back to Greenville. So if they had traveled to Blacksburg, yes, I think they could play this game on Saturday. There's no question in my mind that they, that they could play this football game, and yeah. East Carolina could travel here safely. The issue is traveling back, and you just don't know for a fact what you're going to get yourself into, even if there's not a hurricane travel can go awry. I mean, Virginia Tech, they had to land in Tennessee when they were coming back from Miami last year and bust to Blacksburg, and they didn't get back till 5 o'clock on Sunday. Five o'clock Sunday afternoon. Um, so, I, and plus, well, let's all right. Let's go back to 1999 when Hurricane Floyd hit Eastern Carolina, killed 52 people in North Carolina, a lot of which were in Greenville. So, East Carolina's got a major, major history with hurricanes here, and they know what it's like to travel up and down the eastern seaboard during the middle of a hurricane. Virginia Tech fans do not have that perspective. So, let's take a step back here and put yourselves in East Carolina shoes. East Carolina is costing themselves money. It's not like they want to do this. All right, they're they're. They're not going to get the $350,000 from Virginia Tech anymore. And now they're going to spend a week and a half in a hotel in Orlando. And for a broke athletic department like ECU, that's a lot of money. So let's drill down into that a little bit. Um, you mentioned Orlando. Uh, so you, your first thought is, oh, they, they're, they're not coming up to Virginia Tech. They need to be with their families and they need to be close to their homes and that sort of thing. That's not what they're doing. They apparently flew down to Orlando. They're playing at UCF, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. Well, they, they flew down there, and they flew down there early. And now our, I can't remember. Are they staying in Tampa or Orlando? How's that, how's that all well, working I, out? I think they're staying in Orlando. They are in Florida. So they're not staying home to take care of their families, folks. So that's another thing that when you, when you evaluate ECU's decision and, and you hear about that, you just sit there and you go, wait a minute. Are you? What are you doing? Are you ducking Virginia Tech? If if you really need to be with your family and everybody needs to be safe, then why are you jetting off to Florida? So that's another area in which ECU can come under some criticism or just, just people looking sideways at them about their decision making process. Well, I, I think the 
the bottom line is here that this is a hurricane where it, it is powerful. I mean, it's a Category 4. And the end of the day, this takes priority, of course, over a football game. I'll Whatever. be honest with you, and this is not going to be popular with Tech fans. I think East Carolina made the right decision. I, and can I, um, I, I 100% agree with you. I, I, wanna... I think there's just too many unknowns. You, you know, not only – at, at the time they made the, at, the decision, the there were more unknowns. There were even more unknowns, right. And you got to make that decision if you're going to go down to Orlando – and you've got to make sure if you want to get a flight out on Wednesday, Thursday is probably too late because of what, where the storm is hitting and when it's hitting and all that. It might be too late. So you got to, you got this from that standpoint, you have to make the decision on Tuesday. I don't think they should have announced it on Tuesday. I think they should have. Uh, or, you know, call they, Tech up if you want to announce it on Tuesday. Yeah, you at, least, you at least have to inform Virginia Tech before you do it. But if you, if you play the game at Virginia Tech and then let's say – you know, Greenville, I'll say the storm track's a little bit more east, and you get like six or seven inches of rain in Greenville. It floods the practice field. They don't have an indoor facility. They won't be able to practice next week if they go back to Greenville, right? So they, they if, let's say they did play the game in Blacksburg, they would have to travel immediately to Orlando. Uh, how far west do you have to fly before you backtrack to Orlando? Uh, how, how many flights get delayed up and down the East Coast because of that hurricane? How many hotels do your players have to sleep in over the course of three or four days? How many flights do they have to catch? This is college football, not Major League Baseball. You know, guy, they're not supposed to be living out of a hotel. Um, so I think it's better for, for for their program that they know their exact travel plans and where their team will be over the next. I, I would I would call that the the path of least resistance. Absolutely, that's a decision, the most they logical and I get path. it. Yeah. Um, they're going to lose money on this. I don't. Know, I, don't I mean, it's not something that they <laughs> one way or another. They're going to lose money. Yeah, yeah. one way or another, they're going to they're going to lose money. So it was. I don't think it was an easy decision for them per se. But uh, you know, I put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, it's. I, I, I can't say I blame them. I think they handled the announcement poorly, very very poorly. Um, but I don't blame them for coming to the decision that they made. I think, like I said, because I think the, the, the North Carolina schools handled the hurricane situation horribly two years ago, I think there's a lot of pressure on the state. I, I, bet, I, bet, I bet those schools and the state got a lot of complaints. You're seriously sending emergency crews to these football games when you've got 26 people dying around the state. That's right. just ludicrous, honestly. And I'm sure they caught a lot of flack, not necessarily maybe in public, but maybe in private from that. And I'm sure there's a lot of state pressure on those North Carolina schools to cancel games and, and get your guys away from there and, and, and everything like that. So you've you got to understand that aspect of it also. Yeah. Continuing on talking about the ECU Virginia Tech game that's uh, being canceled for this weekend. And again, I, I just can't emphasize enough, you know, thinking about, you know, the people of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Virginia, this hurricane that everybody um, stays as safe as possible and definitely in our, in our thoughts and, uh, and prayers moving forward. Looking at this from a Virginia Tech angle, though, this does open up uh, a bye week, so to speak, for Virginia Tech. And Justin Fuente mentioned uh, in his press conference on Wednesday that they're going. The guys, some of the guys are going to get some time off. Uh, some coaches are going to go uh, recruiting in parts that are safe uh, and away from the hurricane. So, Will, what is the biggest priority at this point for Virginia Tech in the next week moving forward? Well, uh, you know, he, he Justin said yesterday that he had to shift gears in the middle of the week. He went, we went from preparing for an opponent to, uh, you know, just evaluating our guys and preparing for a season. I think is how he phrased it. Um, he can handle that however he wants to handle that. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I that I know what the most important thing to do here is. Um, so now that the decision has been made, there's there's all kinds of ways you can think about this. Now, my thinking is that. Uh, I'm not real upset that the game's not being played. And this is just me personally talking. Don't, don't get all worked up. Those of you that, for example, talked to a friend last night who bought four tickets for this, specifically for this game and was having people come in from out of town. And now he's holding four tickets that he can't do anything with. And him telling me this was a response to me saying, you know what, I hold the season ticket. I, I don't want my money back for that. I don't care. You know, just it's a sunk cost to me. That opinion's not necessarily the same with everybody else. Uh, anyway, getting back to the topic, you know, an extra bye week is always a good thing. Somebody asked me a question on Twitter. They said, you know, everybody knows about the, the Georgia Tech game being canceled in, in the 2000 season because it rained literally right before kickoff. So are there any other Tech games you can think about being canceled? What about after 9-11? And I was like, no, Tech did not cancel a game after 9-11. And I went and looked it up. Virginia Tech played 
Uh, they played on September 1st and September 8th, and Virginia Tech did not have a game scheduled on September 15th, the first Saturday after 9-11. That was back when teams played 11 regular season games, and there were two bye weeks built into the schedule. And I loved it. I know coaches loved it from a standpoint of getting their players to recuperate, guys who were injured early in the season. This is the exact same situation. Virginia Tech has played two games. They've already got some guys dinged up. Christian, Christian Darisaw is dinged up. And more famously and arguably more importantly, Ricky Walker is dinged up. So from that standpoint, getting to take a week off is a good thing. Um, I don't know how the coaches feel about it impacting the development of players because playing time in an actual game is, is just better than anything, you know. So uh, – those are kind of my random thoughts on it. Uh, and I know that <laughs> on a personal level, I drove down to Tallahassee and back. I'm still worn out. I'm glad I don't have to get up early and go to a noon game on Saturday, go to a tailgate and go to a noon game. I get to hang out and watch some college football. So for me personally and for guys who are dinged up, it's actually a good thing. Um, I echo most of what he just said. Uh, I'm sad to miss my tailgate. I finally broke down and got my own tailgating spot this year. Splurge for a tent cornhole boards the spot itself wow. and it's awesome and now i'm getting chewed about it <laughs> it stinks but on the other hand uh like he said i i i'm not to sound like an old man or anything but i prefer pre-2005 college football to post-2005 college football that, that's when the schedule flipped to 12 games and i prefer that 11 game schedule because virginia tech they were playing balanced schedules it were back when they were in the big east um you go to the ACC, and all of a sudden the schedule becomes unbalanced. And also, you had two bye weeks, and now you have one bye week. You're fitting 12 games into 13 weeks, and because Virginia Tech plays Thursday night games most years, a lot of times they don't even get a true bye week. Yeah. Um, so I just – and I think that's another reason players are more banged up these days. So I'd like to play the game from the standpoint of developing some of those young guys some more. But at the same time, I look at Virginia Tech's defensive tackles, and Ricky Walker is hurt, and Xavier Burke. Xavier is Burke, hurt. I left him and out. Jenny Mahota is hurt, and you know, just this bye week early in the season when those guys are hurt, I mean, it could be it could be critical for keeping that position fresh later in the season. Uh, so yeah, I want to play the game, but there are also benefits to not playing it, and I and I and I don't, I'm not in favor of the game being rescheduled um, personally, unless. Virginia Tech does not make the ACC title game, then yes, you go ahead and, and reschedule it for the for the weekend after the Virginia game, just so you don't have to issue refunds and, and things like that. Yeah, so so that segues into what happens next. Do you issue refunds uh, do, when the lawyer, So a lot of the discussion has been around about how ECU pulled the trigger first. Does that technically make it a forfeit? Nobody wants to play that card right now because it's, it's too sensitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, do they owe Virginia Tech some sort of buyout? There are all kinds of things that the attorneys have to look at the contract and figure it's out. It's not like the teams came to a mutual agreement and said the game's canceled. It's East Carolina just said, we're not coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was, and, and that uh, complicates Another reason that's bad decision-making. Yeah. It, it, they, ECU could have fully put their plans in motion. I guarantee you ECU on Monday knew they weren't going to play this game. Uh, you know, if they're like Virginia Tech, they take Monday off from practice, and then they practice when school was out on Tuesday afternoon. So if they made this announcement, you know, at 5 o'clock on Tuesday, it means they didn't even practice on Tuesday. Why would you hold a practice for a game that you're not even going to participate in? I think their plans were in motion already to take to go down to Orlando and not play this football game. And if that was the case, they should have just held home for another day without saying anything. I know. They, they overly complicated it by pulling the trigger early. And it is something to look at, that open week for Virginia Tech. I mean, of course, and I don't see this happening, but you look at some of the other teams who are canceled this week, and, you know, South Carolina and Virginia Tech do hold the same open bye week. Do you see that happening this year? Probably not. I don't no, see no, both no. teams in highly ranked situations wanting to play each other when it wasn't uh, scheduled to be that way. Yeah. But I, I see this playing out. Virginia Tech plays 11 games in 2018 I, I, in the regular season. I agree. Um, unless they don't make the ACC title game, and then they could play East Carolina that week. Um, I, I challenge the man to, to go into Bud Foster's office and tell him, uh, we're going to go ahead and play a game that Saturday before the Georgia Tech Thursday night game now. So you only get five days to prepare instead of extra time. That's not happening. Yeah, yeah it's not happening. I would, and, I would and, and as, that as a fan. 
and as a as a fan, I guess, as an observer of Virginia Tech, I don't want that to happen. No. You know, I want the I want them to have their best opportunity to win that Georgia Tech. The, the ACC schedule makers did did Virginia Tech a couple of big solids this year. One of them was giving them twelve days off before they had to play Georgia Tech, and the second one was sending Miami on a bunch of road trips, including to Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. the week before they traveled to Virginia Tech. And now let's let's. It's rare that you get those kind of gifts from the schedule makers, and don't mess that. Don't mess and with I, that. And I don't think, if if you know, by some miracle, Virginia Tech is is in competition for a playoff spot at the end of the season. I don't think a victory over an East Carolina team that's gone three and nine in the last two years is going to make a difference. And that's actually what, what you think of a hurt their strength of schedule. That that was my next question was. If they only play eleven games, regardless if it's college football playoff or maybe a you know a, Ch- a Chick Fil A bowl to a Camping World bowl, would that one game make any I, difference? I don't think it would make a difference at all. If anything, it, it would help. Quite honestly, not playing it. Look at I mean, look at the exercises I've done for the RPI in the NCAA tournament before, uh, where I take out teams, I take out Virginia Tech's, you know, their weakest opponents, and see their strength of schedule go up by. 30 spots and their RPI go up by 12 spots. And I'm like, well, we just replace those teams with a Division II team that doesn't count. And uh, I make that argument every year that I'm like, if Virginia Tech didn't actually play one of these games, their strength of schedule would be better. And, you know, I, so I, from that standpoint, I, there's no RPI in, in college football, obviously, but I, just, I don't see how playing East Carolina would, would benefit them from that standpoint. You, you could, The only thing that benefits them is financially. You know, it's, it's a boost for the town. Uh, if Virginia Tech has to issue refunds, then obviously that, that that's difficult for, for an athletic department that ran $3 million in the red last year. Um, and it can hurt from a player development standpoint. But uh, from a season result standpoint, unless somehow Virginia Tech finishes with nine wins, they don't get that tenth win, that, that, that would tick me off. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, I just don't see it being a big issue. Yeah, so we're sitting here having these discussions, and, and you know, Chris and I are Internet guys, that this is not affecting our business at all. Uh, if you own a hotel in Blacksburg, if you own a, an apparel shop like oh, Campus Emporium or uh, I've Alumni got, Hall. I've got a buddy who, uh, who runs an apparel shop in Blacksburg, and, you know, they budgeted for seven home games this year. And now they're going to have a bunch of inventory laying around from – September 8th, the last home game, to the next home game, which is October 6th. And that, that's the other bad part about this. It's game. a 24-day gap. It's Virginia Tech. It's so long between home games. And I, I, I'm not going to get to watch this team play in Lane Stadium again until October 6th. That, that's really that's – Last thing I do want to add on this before we move on and, and kind of recap William and Mary from last week was I think about this and, you know, how can you find something good out of something bad in Virginia Tech's case in this week? I think about it from the recruiting standpoint and how Fuente said he was going to send assistance. Think about it from this perspective. How many years in the last decade or so, or I guess since 2005 when – college football went from 11 to 12 games do you have your assistant coaches and even fuente out on a friday night in the middle of september i mean that that's that's got to be not i'm not going to say an advantage but just something uh that you would not have can't hurt right can't hurt and fuente considers himself you know some recruiters are pure recruiters that they're the snake oil salesman type that can sell anybody some recruiters are evaluators and that's what fuente considers himself and his staff and this for them it's just it's one more evaluation opportunity. And, you know, part of evaluation is not just talking to, to a prospect's coach and talking to his guidance counselor or whatever. Part of it is going and actually watching this kid play a game. What, is it, what does he do when, when his highlight film isn't being spliced up? Um, does he what take plays off like? when, he, when he's over on the sideline? Is he interacting with his teammates or is he sitting on the bench by himself? What does he do it's after a game? You know, you know, this this is all stuff, uh, opportunities that they typically don't have during the season. Continue on the Tech Sideline podcast, presently, uh, presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm. Talking about the East Carolina um, news that came out of this week. Let's reflect on last Saturday, though, for Virginia Tech with a 62-17 to win over William & Mary. Of course, I mean, guys, we expected a win for Virginia Tech. But when you put up the numbers they did on the ground and you see the overall body of work and how they were able to rotate um, some newer guys into the uh, into the win, I think that was a pretty successful week for Virginia Tech. I thought it was pretty impressive and successful. I, th- I thought they were sharper than I thought that would than, than I thought they would be. You know, they had two full days of practice and a walkthrough heading into that game, and yet offensively, they fumbled on their first drive, 
you know, probably would have scored on that drive because they were marching down the field easily. And then they ran the clock out on their last drive. They scored on every drive in between. Oscar Bradburn did not did, was not used as a punter in, in this game, and it's rare, even against an FCS opponent, to be that sharp in, in a quick turnaround game like that. I think. I agree with that, and and I wrote in uh, in my Monday thoughts column this week. I, I reflected back on. The last time they played William and Mary, and what was it, Chris? Two thousand seven? Uh, was that the last time? But I know that's the one—the one you're thinking about when they had two hundred eighty-seven yards of offense. Yeah, Virginia Tech did did not play well that game. If you go and look at the score, it was forty-four to three. Eddie Royal returned a punt for a touchdown. There's probably a defense. <laughs> Set the one where Eddie pointed at the sky as he was crossing yes. the goal line, yes, and they penalized him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tech Tech had a, a, a rough day statistically that day, and. Um, you know, uh, there's not a whole lot more I can add to that discussion. Yes, they made some mistakes. They they gave up a long play that resulted in William and Mary scoring a touchdown. They muffed C.J. Carroll, I think, muffed muffed a punt. Um, Deshaun McLeese had a fumble. They were making mistakes, but they were these were not mistakes of preparation or um, focus. They were they were mistakes of execution. You know, so I think that's very encouraging. It's a limited data set. It's two games so far, but Virginia Tech has been ready to play both games. Um, and if this team, if this coaching staff can get this team ready to play each and every game like this, please let them be this ready to play Georgia Tech. You know, that that's the one. Can you please just score in your first two or three possessions, <laughs> you know, and, and have that game go a little differently. But anyway, it's an encouraging sign if they're this ready to play. Speaking of Georgia Tech, they are a part of our Tech sideline poll question of the week, which we will get to later. They're coming off a 49-38 to loss to South Florida, which they gave, a, gave up two kickoff returns for touchdowns. Apparently they have a 5-6 freshman on their kickoff team, and Paul Johnson admitted on the, on the conference call today that that was a mistake. And probably shouldn't have a five-six freshman on your kickoff team. So uh, he's wow. he's blaming two kickoff returns on one kid. Not necessarily that. But I, I don't know. I saw it on Twitter. So, so <laughs> it, was from a, it was from a tech beat writer on, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. But yeah, you, you generally don't want to have five-six guys on your kickoff team. That's bad. To see. You want you want range of your guys on your kickoff team. Going back, we'll get to uh, Georgia Tech in a little bit. Well, by the, by the way, one thing about Georgia Tech is they lost their starting B-back for did. the season, a kid who ran for over 1,000 yards last year. How much does that matter? How ready is his backup? I don't know. But so far, Duke's lost their starting quarterback and an all-ACC cornerback, and Georgia Tech has lost their starting B-back. So um, you know, let's put in the, the – Rejoinder that you never want to see kids get hurt or anything like that. But when you step back and evaluate things strategically, this is uh, this is a good thing for Virginia Tech. Going back to William and Mary, you know, I'm sitting there in the stands, and we talked about against Florida State how sh- how sharp he looked. But watching Josh Jackson um, work in a no huddle offense, especially early uh, in the game, I was just I came away super impressed with him uh, against William and Mary. Granted, the tribe went two and eight last year, and they're a struggling. FCS opponent, but I thought he looked so crisp and smooth through the air yeah, on Saturday. He, he did, and it was rare. He even had to go to a second or third read. It's just like everything everything worked perfectly. The game plan worked perfectly. He knew exactly where to go to the ball based on his pre-snap reads, which, you know, he should at this point. It's Josh Jackson. He's a smart guy. But, but again, it's, it's, it's still impressive because it's a short week, and it's a lot to cram into that short period of time. When you think that Virginia Tech, they, they didn't have their first practice for William & Mary until Wednesday when the game was played on Saturday. And I thought the you know one play that stands out to me was a long touchdown pass to Damon Hazleton. That, that ball was thrown accurately, um, maybe a tiny bit short. But Hazleton's a guy at his size, let's say it had been, been against a better opponent and the coverage had been tighter. Hazleton's a guy that can go up and get that ball. Yeah, well, um, last year Jackson overthrew that ball. Yeah, that's ball. right. Uh, you know, he did it against Pitt over the middle with Phil Patterson, and he did it against Oklahoma State in the bowl. Yep. Josh Jackson, 12 of 16 against William Mary, 217 yards and a touchdown. He also had a rushing touchdown. My personal favorite play of the game. I think I saw <laughs> someone quote this on Twitter. He got a little help from his friends being pushed in from the five-yard line to the goal line. That, that has become one of the more exciting plays in football. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I feel like it's even five I don't. I don't think it is anymore. Um, it was back when, uh, when Reggie Bush pushed, pushed Matt Leinart into the end zone. Okay against Notre Dame, but I don't think it's illegal anymore. And, and again, that gets back to the point of the team really being focused and really wanting to play. 
you didn't have a bunch of offensive linemen standing around watching. They all got in the pile and pushed him into the end zone. And we're not talking two yards. We're talking five yards. Yeah. He took he took the hit at the five, and they pushed him into the end it zone. It was awesome. There. It's, it's human nature to, to maybe uh, not necessarily not play hard, but, but to coast a little bit against the team like William & Mary five days after an emotional win, uh, to not be as sharp, to not play with – quite the intensity or the effort level as you would when you're playing Florida State or Clemson or someone like that. But wasn't an issue for Virginia Tech. I thought they played just as hard against William & Mary as they did Florida State, and that play was the perfect example of that. And, and we talked about – when we went around and talked about and I'll get to your thought in just a minute when we get to the running backs for going into the William & Mary game, my big thing was who was going to be that backup quarterback and who um, would kind of take the reins when Josh came out. I loved how, and if you noticed, Virginia Tech – Put Willis in the game with two minutes to go in the I first half, just to have him run the two-minute drill, and he threw that I, beautiful pass. I suppose that's what why they did that for is just so they, they could get him experience in a two-minute drill because Josh Jackson was a starting quarterback when the second half began, right? Yeah, he came back yeah. out for another. Yeah, so I, I, I guess that that's why they wanted to put Willis in there. I thought it was interesting at the time. Um, well, and and that gets back into something else I found remarkable about uh, remarkable about the game is the number of substitutions early on that Virginia Tech did, bringing in uh, John Harris to play offensive line, for example. Um, you, see, you see coaches all the time, even against an outmatched uh, FCS opponent, they start their starters, they play their starters, they play them well into the third quarter, and you don't see a lot of substitutions. For Virginia Tech, you did, you know, and, and I applaud that. It's uh, Fans are always saying, oh, how much do you think we'll play the backups? Do you think they'll get in early? And typically, no, but Saturday they did. you know. And, and I like a coaching staff that's got some confidence in their team. Yeah, we're going to put some backups in there and get some experience. We expect to win this thing anyway. You said the one player you wanted to see more against William & Mary was Terrius Wheatley. You take out the run from Hendon Hooker. He's the leading rusher in the game. Seven carries, 58 yards, and a touchdown. And I'm really, really starting to like this running back trio. Uh, that they, well, Four of them. You've got Wheatley, McLeese, Peoples, and then throw in Jalen Holston. Yeah, and I think against major competition, it'll be more of a three-man thing. Yeah, it'll be, I'll be interested to see what they do with Jalen Holston because he's a guy they played as a true freshman last year, but he appears to have been passed by a retro freshman. The, the way Fuente was talking, uh, I listened to the ACC coaches teleconference today, and he was asked a question about – specifically about Wheatley, I think. And uh, paraphrasing, um, he said something about, I'm really glad to see him coming on and become that third guy. So, uh, right. so I think I think Fuente agrees. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's the case. And, and they needed a little more uh, – they needed somebody a little different with, with, with their running backs uh, because Holston and Peoples, they're fairly similar, I think, in their athletic ability and their running style and things like that. And they needed somebody with a little more speed. Um, and I think they've got that with, with Wheatley. Uh, now, he's had some big running lanes. You know, let, let's be honest. The blocking has been great on almost all of his runs. But I think the most likely Virginia Tech running back on this team to break a 40-yard run is Terrius Wheatley. He's, and, he's certainly got the sp- – I've been impressed with his speed. I didn't know he was that fast. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think he needs to continue to touch football. How about continuing with the running backs? You've, we both have talked about everybody, the, the first three podcasts of the year, how Stephen Peoples, how kind of full throttle he is, so to speak. When he sees a hole, he goes for it. Was that not on display against William & Mary? It definitely was. You know, uh, He doesn't mess around. He knows who he is as a running back. He knows he's not a dancer. He knows his strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and I, I, think for, I think that's key for a lot of people. To get the best out of yourself, you have to under, understand yourself. And I, I'm not sure that a lot of players completely understand what type of players they are, but he does. Um, they actually showed a little more shake and bake, so to speak, in the open field uh, with a couple of those runs, too, than we've seen in the past. Well, I thought on the whole that was his best game as a Tech player. Yeah, and it goes back to the conversation we had about Sam Rogers' comparison. And I remember talking about how we were basically saying Sam Rogers more dimensional as a runner and more elusive but he he showed that he's definitely worked on some things in the offense to become more of a uh, off season that is to become more of a two-dimensional runner almost yeah and I, I hope that keeps up because you know we you know he's strong you know he can pick up some tough yardage on the inside but you know if he can if he can start if he can make a man or two miss every game i mean that that's extra yardage and, and i think that could be big last thing he finishes number wise with uh he goes 
Six carries, 55 yards, two touchdowns. And you look at all the people who touch the football. I mean, Hooker, of course, his big 69-yard uh, touchdown run. But Wheatley, 58. Peoples, 55. Holston, 47 yards. McLeese, 35. I mean, and then you look at the receiving core. Virginia Tech did a great job in getting a lot of receivers involved. Hazleton, uh, only four receptions, 107 yards, and a touchdown. Grimsley, 68 yards. Peoples caught 34 yards out of the backfield. And then the one guy who I am really excited to watch grow um, has been the play of Trey Turner. He's made He made a nice catch against Florida State, caught the ball against William & Mary. I think he's got a really big upside for Virginia Tech. Four-star recruit and the highest ranked, well, depending on what service you're looking at, which recruiting service, but one of the highest ranked players of Virginia Tech's 2018 recruiting class. Uh, the only question mark surrounding Trey was how quickly he was going to be ready this year because he missed most of his senior season last year and all of spring practice coming off shoulder surgery. So was he going to be physically ready to contribute as a, as a true freshman? And it appears he is because that catch he made against Florida State was a really tough catch. Will, I ask you this. You look at the receiving core, and Virginia Tech can go five or six deep. Is this one of the deeper receiving cores the Hokies have had in the last five, six, seven years? Uh, absolutely. Uh you know, I, th I think one of the deeper receiving cores w that I can remember was, I think David Clowney was signed in 2003. Correct, in was. 2004 was Eddie Royal, Josh Hyman, Justin Harper. If, if you go from that 2004 through 2006, seven area, you've got Clowney, you got Eddie Royal, you got Josh Morgan, uh, you got Justin Harper, you got Josh Hyman. Wow. And four of those five guys played in the NFL. Yeah, that, that was a really right, deep right, receiving core. Right. So, and this, this receiving core is that deep. We don't know yet if they're that talented. Like, will four of these five guys play in the NFL at some point? I don't know. Um, but uh, it's possible. Yeah. So, certainly as far as depth goes. I think since then it's been a couple of really good guys. Um, you had uh, – um, who caught the ball? Danny caught the ball. Yeah, yeah Danny Cole and um, – Jared Boykin. And – and then later you had uh, Cam Phillips and Isaiah Ford and, and some Bucky Hodges, two or three guys, right. but but not not going five or six deep like no. this. This is only really the second time that's ever happened. I mean, I, I think that time in the mid-2000s when it happened with those guys we just mentioned, I don't think it's happened since then. Well, up until then it wasn't Frank's right. style right, to have right, a lot of right. receivers. Exactly. And, yeah. and, you know, Tech is throwing bodies out there at receivers, but they weren't necessarily, <laughs> right. necessarily right. guys that you wanted out there. We won't name names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, what my favorite post-game quote from Fuente, I think if you had to look at something that obviously the coaching staff would love to work on was ball security. And he did say in his post-game press conference, uh, paraphrasing here, that if they wouldn't hang on to the footballs, he would go grab uh, students in the Corps of Cadets section and bring them into the game. I thought that was a fantastic quote. It's, it's overlooked at this point. Virginia Tech has seven fumbles but they've only lost one of them. Yep. And I'm assuming that the muffed punts count as fumbles. Um, and so the only one they've lost is a McLeese fumble. And this is in direct contrast to the beginning of the 2016 season when they lost something like 10. They fumbled 11 times early, which was a lot, and lost something like 10 of them. So these things even out. Your concern is if they keep fumbling, is it going to even out this season? Are you going to have a game where they fumble three times and lose every single one of them as opposed to fumbling three times and not losing any of them and – you kind of forget it was an issue. Yeah, it will even out. Um, so the key is stop fumbling. Uh, <laughs> quit if you stop that. fumbling, then you won't give it a chance. To hey, you guys, quit that. <laughs> There's your coaching analysis of the Tech Sideline exactly. podcast. Chris Coleman. Hey, stop that fumbling. <laughs> and I think the other thing, too, that, that I've noticed, too, and I think something that you know, defensively, Virginia Tech would love to cry. Is definitely open field tackling. Yeah. I think that's one big thing in the first two games you've seen that – not that it's not there, but just maybe a little tweaking here in the next couple of weeks. That's that's a good point. I agree with that, especially with some of the young players out there in space. You know, you saw Garbutt miss one on, I think, their long touchdown in the second half. Uh, you saw Farley miss one against Akers. Now, granted, you're going to see a lot of guys miss tackles on Cam Akers, but uh, it's definitely something that can be improved on. But, but it's how is the tackle trying to be executed? And the missed tackle on Akers was going in very high and yes. grabbing at him as opposed to get, going in low, getting across his body. I think some of the better tackling you've seen this year has come from Ladler and, and Floyd, Khalil Ladler and Reggie Floyd oh, yeah, in the open field. Really they yeah. do. Oh. They're, they're a clinic. Like uh, Jack Tyler was a clinic in how to tackle, man. He, he would get the angle on you. He'd get across your body. He'd get into your legs, and you were going down. Now, 
my f- another another piece to this Virginia Tech football team that my eyes kind of light up as as I watch the first two games. How about the special teams, but especially on kickoffs? I, you know, I'm sitting there watching the game with my dad. He goes, "That leg is unbelievable on kickoff." That, Jordan Stout, what a job! It's like Joey Sly all over again, just booming the ball out of the end zone. But it's not it's it's not even close. His yeah. kick. I mean, they are yeah. they're it's almost going close. through the upright. Yeah. And we had heard he had a really strong. Or stout leg, so to speak. I was right? going to say yeah. the aptly named Jordan Stout. The aptly named Jordan Stout. Um, so, yeah, he's crushing him. He's another weapon. And what is he, a redshirt freshman? Got this for four years, man. So, 15 to 16 have been touchbacks. And, and the only reason the other one wasn't a touchback is Florida State was desperate and ran it out of the end zone. Yeah, and how about Brian Johnson with that 45-yard field goal? And he, that was right down the middle. Yeah. And I think I saw a stat. I don't want to – 15 of 16 touchbacks, that's one of the best uh, numbers on kickoffs in the nation right now. you got to yeah. figure it is, yeah. Yeah, it has to be. All right, so if you think about it like this, Oscar Bradburn, proven commodity. We know he's a really good punter. I'm completely sold on Jordan Stout. If you can kick the ball out of the end zone 15 out of 16 times, then then you're good. That's not a fluke. Um, Ron Johnson looks good so far. He went three or four last year. He's two of two this year with a long of 45. It's still still a little early to anoint him as, as a great kicker, but he looks good so far. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm confident in the most special teams as long as uh, they can we can get their punt return game going. And what I mean is not necessarily punt return for touchdowns, but building the punt. So, uh, along those lines, uh, Fuente mentioned on the ACC tele, uh, head coaches teleconference today that in addition to C.J. Carroll and Damon Hazleton, they're looking at Hezekiah Grimsley uh, to return punts. So, they're working him. And, you know, Fuente hasn't made any sort of decisions yet. He said, I don't know who we're going to trot out there for the, uh, the opening punt return against ODU. But I thought that was interesting that Grimsley's getting a look. Yeah, I agree, and that seems like a natural uh, choice to me. Uh, yeah, I would think that Bryce Watts would get a look too, but maybe he just has trouble fielding it. I, yeah. it's, it's unclear. He certainly has the speed to do it, so when somebody with the speed of Watts and the build of Watts, who's honestly built like a punt returner, when he's not doing it, you kind of think, well, you know, maybe he's just not able to field it. Right. I'm just not a big fan of Damon Hazleton being back there. He catches the ball well, and for a big guy, he's fairly elusive, you know, the limited bit we've seen him. I just don't want him back there getting hurt. Yeah, I'd prefer somebody back there who can catch the ball and make a play. Right. Not that he didn't make any plays again. I mean, he did a good job with his returns against William and Mary. He made some guys miss and picked up positive yardage. But, but yeah, I would uh, I would prefer to just keep him at life. I don't want guys flying at him. Yeah. So as we wrap up the conversation here on special teams, I did see this on Twitter. Maybe you guys did too, so maybe you do know this question. Uh, the answer to this question that I'm hoping might stump you guys, but – We've mentioned that Oscar Bradburn did not have to punt the ball in the win for Virginia Tech. Can you name the last time oh, no. a Tech punter did not have to punt the ball in the game? Oh, wait, wait, wait. And wait. you'll be surprised by this. When they lost to James Madison. Everything, every drive ended in a score or a turnover. Chris Coleman is correct. 2010, and I'm sorry to bring up oh, a sore so subject, Virginia, but yeah, that was the last time. You would never guess that a game in which the Tech scored 16 points was the last game where they didn't punt. Where they didn't punt. See, I was going to guess App- Appalachian State. They beat App State 66-13. Mm-hmm. to 13. Yeah. Not that year, but I think maybe the following year. 2010, yeah. 2011. Well, you know what? So I saw James Madison, their official Twitter account, tweet out, you know, eight years ago, and they had the scoreboard of the uh, the final. That I was at the James Madison game. And you know what's funny is I looked at the old scoreboard and I read the stats from that game. Virginia Tech had more passing yards, they had more rushing yards, and they had more total yards, and they still lost that game. Uh, Virginia Tech did not make critical plays. They turned it over too much, and they coughed up a couple of big plays. I, I remember one play where JMU basically threw a flanker screen out to the sideline, and two or three Tech guys showed up and just missed the tackle. And the guy either ran it all the way or got it really close. So it, it's just one of those games. Those things happen. I think we actually, and, and we don't like to single out players, but Jerron Govea-Winslow had a really bad game that day. And, and he was one of the guys, that, yeah. And I think they gained, like, over half of the yards they gained came after Gavea after. won this tackle. I, think I, remember <laughs> I got, a, I got a feeling if I look at Monday thoughts from, from that game, it'll say that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would love to go back and read your Monday thoughts from that game, see what uh, – See what you had to say about that. So. Oh, well, one. Well, no. Go back and read about the Virginia Tech James Madison. <laughs> there's there's one that's more amusing to read is is the Monday thoughts I wrote after uh, Tech played against uh, Rutgers in the what bowl was that, Chris? That was Can't, the was that, the um, that was the, uh, the Russell it? Athletic the Russell Bowl. Athletic Bowl that hideous thirteen to ten win in air quotes. 
Um, I included some some clips in there where I was. Uh, Did you include in there that I th- I think those might have been? I-, I was not a fan of those helmets that Tech wore. The old oh turkeys. I just did not. Be you know, And speaking of jerseys, because I put this out on Twitter. I think I think my buddy Ryan Dye put this out about Virginia Tech, and I want to get your thoughts on this. 2010 opener against Boise State. The 2010 Nike combat jerseys, the black and orange. Super cool. Those are my favorite jerseys ever worn. And, and they, got, they one, got ruined by that horrible loss. I never want to see one again. I thought they looked sweet, but I never want to see one again. To, to, this, were... to this day, if you watch Virginia Tech games and they show the crowd, there'll be that guy wearing that black number 34 Ryan Williams jersey from that game, and, and all you can think is, yeah, Boise State. Boise Take State. that thing That's off. what I think about every time I see one. Uh, Stop yeah. wearing that. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Will before we went on for this podcast, and we were talking, and we'll get to it in a minute. We're going to talk about some of the bigger games this weekend. And I was like, oh man, Boise State's going to Oklahoma State. And he goes, I do not want to think about Boise State. Just, I believe my exact words were, I hate Boise State. I was going to let you off the hook there, but and if I, you did want to put I, that on the air, yes. I, I freely mean, admit that a lot of it's jealousy, you know, because they, they had some big moments and they took advantage of them and made a name for themselves, you know, at a time when Virginia Tech was not taking advantage of big moments generally. You know, and then it then it gets back to that. I tell people all the time that 2010 game. There's a couple things. By that time, I'd been doing tech sideline for so long that I wasn't really that emotionally invested. I had a lot riding on that game, uh, and I'm not talking business wise. I'm talking emotionally. Everybody left the stadium. The usher had to tell me to leave after that game. And the other thing I tell people is uh, I did a couple events with Bud Foster in the years that followed that where, you know, he had players in as guests. And the players from that era always mentioned that game. It comes up. It, it, it really bothered them, too, that they didn't win that game. You look at that Boise State team, though, there were so many guys who made it to the NFL off John that Martin team, though. Yep. Um, well, what ticked me off, though, was they could build an offense around a, a guy like Kellen Moore who just wasn't very big, didn't have a very strong arm. And then we had a guy like Tyrod, who was a freak of nature. Two NFL receivers. Tyrod. We had had (laughs) – Stop that. Kidding. Joking aside. And we had three running backs who went on to play in the NFL. And we couldn't build an offense out of that. Well, they also had that with that really quick guy. Tavon Austin, I believe, was on that uh, no, team. Tavon Austin was West, West Virginia. I'm sorry, Austin Pettis, I believe yeah, his name was, a receiver. Yeah, yeah. They had a really uh, – They had some good defensive linemen, too. They did. Yeah. I do want to go back because I was about the jerseys, though. So I said that we all like them. You know, Carrie Eberly, one of Virginia Tech's best pitchers, her dad follows me on Twitter and said that we looked like deranged Halloween pumpkins in that game. Is that a compliment? No, he was he didn't like him. He just so he was he said LOL at the end. I think it's a compliment. Next Halloween game. Yes, how about that? So anyway, I'm telling you, man, if you, when when Virginia comes to Blacksburg every uh-huh. other year and that game gets played on Friday, it should be a Black Friday game, and Virginia Tech should wear black. Uh, well, or, or even the kind of jerseys that they wore for Beamer's final home game. You know, that was a, kind of the closest we've ever gotten back to the 2010. So I so I do want to get to our. Um, Tech sideline poll question of the week. So I think we can spend a little bit of time discussing this because it is interesting. I thought it was interesting, yeah. I asked, out of the remaining teams on Virginia Tech's schedule, besides Notre Dame, who's currently ranked eighth, eighth in the poll, who looks the strongest so far? And I don't think, even if I put Notre Dame on here, that they would have won that. It's who looks the best so far? I put And I, I put some time in this. I, I, w- I looked at all the teams, and I thought these were the top four that could have fit the, um, the question. So I put Miami, obviously, because they're still in the top 25. Boston College, A.J. Dillon, the reigning ACC Player of the Year. People are comparing him to Leonard Fournette of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Duke, who's coming off a huge win against Northwestern, currently undefeated. And then I still put Georgia Tech because you take out those two kickoff return for touchdowns, they're still undefeated, they beat South Florida. So we had over 400 votes, 412 to be exact. The winner at 46% was Boston College. Miami in second at 37%. Duke in third at 13%. And Georgia Tech in last at 4%. What do you make of that? I mean, Boston College right now undefeated. They've played, I believe, two small FCS opponents, if not one non-Power 5 in FCFs completely blown them out are they a contender uh so to speak on virginia tech schedule to really give the Hokies a scare you know uh you can make an argument for all three of those teams uh, or excuse me for three of those four teams i don't think you can make an argument for georgia tech they might give virginia tech trouble but i don't think they'll give very many other teams trouble i think that's a mediocre football team Hmm. um but i look at 
Boston College, and you know, I, I think on the boards last night I called him the beastliest of all beasts at running back. You know, Dylan, he's just a monster. He's a great player. Brown has looked good at quarterback the first two games. They hadn't played anybody. Um, I, I, Duke, how good is their backup quarterback? I, I, if, if Daniel Jones was healthy, my vote for, the, for that group would be Duke. Not necessarily the best and most talented team, but, but the team that would give Virginia Tech the, bit, the biggest struggle, being on the road and everything like that. I think Miami is the exact same team they were last year. <laughs> I think Rozier is, is the same quarterback he was last year, i.e. not a very good one. They're going to need a running game if they want their offense to succeed. If they can't run the, run the football, they're not going to be able to do anything offensively. Um, I don't know who I would have voted for in that, in all honesty. Um, I think if, if Duke had Daniel Jones, I would probably vote for them. I, I think that was actually some pretty savvy voting. I probably would have put uh, Boston College at the top. Um, people don't like that I'm saying this, but I keep mentioning in articles that I'm putting Miami down as a W uh, just because if they had won that opener against LSU, uh, maybe they would have had some momentum. But, uh, you know, I've mentioned they, they play – the Virginia Tech game for them is something like uh, the fifth out of six games where they have to go on the road. I just, I just think Virginia Tech's going to be ready for them. BC, I think uh, um, with that power running game, you know, that they're, they're going to stress Virginia Tech in ways that, that Virginia Tech hadn't been stressed yet. If you watch that William & Mary game, particularly once Ricky Walker was out, there was no penetration by the defensive tackles. I think they were credited with one or two tackles the entire game. That was Robert Porsche had a tackle for loss, and that was it. Yeah, and it was a really nice play, but there was no pressure up the middle from Tech's defensive tackles, and that, that's not a good thing against a power running game or against Georgia Tech. Um, I don't know if the news about Daniel Jones was out yet when you ran that poll, but uh, I would have gone B.C., Duke, Georgia Tech, and Miami in order. Wow, Miami and – well, here's the interesting note about Duke, and I'm thinking about for Virginia Tech purposes of wanting to beat good teams to move up higher in the poll because I put something out. My personal opinion uh, is that Virginia Tech will not get higher than 12 before the Notre Dame game because the voters are just not going to reward Virginia Tech um, for wins against, you know, ECU, Old Dominion. But if Duke – you look at what they've done right now, Duke. They beat Army – Lord knows that's a tough team to play and how they run the football. They Thirty beat Duke last year, and the right? But Duke turned around and smacked them by twenty this year. Thirty-four to fourteen. Then they beat Northwestern, who won ten games last year and were a lot of people's sleeper pick in the Big Ten. Twenty-one to seven. Wow. They go to ba- yeah. They go to Baylor this week, and if they're able again, Baylor's not the same team that they were no, even three no, years no, ago. No. But still, to go into Waco with a new quarterback, if they're able to win that game, then they get North Carolina Central before Tech. That Duke got votes this week, yeah. and they, that could be a potential top twenty-five matchup in Durham. Yeah, I think Duke is a—they're uh, very well coached. I know that, but I don't even know the name of their backup quarterback to be honest with you. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just sitting here laughing. I'm thinking, hey, maybe it'll be a three thirty or seven o'clock matchup. No, know I watched a Duke game when they were ranked in the top twenty-five before. And it's still not top four. And ESPN's going to show, you know, Southeast Louisiana against some SEC team that night anyway, because <laughs> that's how it works. Um, so that'll be interesting. Thanks so much for particip- participating in our Tech Sideline poll question of the week. We'll have one available for you on Monday of next week. Speaking of polls, or Twitter, that is, let's go ahead and get your Will Stewart uh song lyric of the week and again will encourage you not to use google this is off the top of your head i do want to repeat the lyric it is every now and then i spend my time in rhyme and verse and curse those faults in me will stewart take it away that's a uh, that's a really cool lyric from a really cool song called along comes mary by the association uh they did that song in 1966 and uh, you know the association from songs like Cherish, you know, which is, how do I put this? Not exactly really creative, you know. Um, Along Comes Mary is one of those songs that um, if you play it and you study the lyrics and you can learn to sing the lyrics along with the music, it's very challenging. The lyrics are very strange. And uh, I compare it to uh, Tears of a Clown by The Miracles, Smokey Robinson and The Miracles. If you can learn and it, Tears of a Clown, the lyrics aren't that challenging. But once you learn them and can sing along with the song, it's a lot of fun. And Along Comes Mary is the same way. So one of the things, I, I, again, I like about putting these lyrics out there is, you know, I got a few responses, and the first few guesses were, were not for the version by the association. 
They're for a version that was done uh, later, and I'm sorry I'm not looking at Twitter right now and I can't get it off the top of my head. But um, So you find out what groups have done songs before and done them after. And um, So anyway, if you're not familiar with that song, there's a version on YouTube that has the lyrics along with it, and it's just it's a really cool song with really cool lyrics at a time when a lot of bands weren't pushing the envelope. And it was off their debut album, which I also find kind of strange. Now, a little bit of, uh, because usually bands won't do stuff like that on a debut album. They'll just try to do some, some run-of-the-mill hits. Uh, supposedly, although they've never been able to get members of the band to agree to this, Mary is referring to Mary Jane or marijuana. So, think of that as you read the lyrics, and that's your music lesson for today. And I'll do my best to find some interesting lyrics for next week but it just gets harder and harder as you go along it does i love music i'm a big 80s guy and i can't figure it out yet so i am i am ready to tackle it next week and hopefully get my uh, just out of curiosity chris what is your music taste what, what does chris coleman listen to blink 182 blink 182 okay uh, the last two concerts i went to were weezer and kid rock oh nice so okay. not, <laughs> not together about. two separate concerts, two separate concerts. <laughs> <laughs> that would make for an interesting concert the two of those together. so so i was never a live music guy i saw uh, I've seen, I've, I've literally gone to like four concerts my entire life. Two of them were ZZ Top. One of them was Robert Cray. Robert Cray, Robert Cray came to Charlottesville one time when I was living there. And uh, then the other one was James Taylor in Richmond one time in the early Love 90s. James Taylor. Yeah. He's um, great. The thing I remember at the James Taylor concert is he was, he, was, he was getting ready to do a song called Iceman or something like that. And he was telling the story behind the song. And he said, and this was a real-world event where archaeologists found some uh, prehistoric man buried in the ice somewhere, and he, he froze very quickly and was preserved very well. So the archaeologists were really excited. So James Taylor's telling this story, and he's like, you know, so they're out there, and then they see him, and they just can't believe he's still got his fur on, and he's got his hair, and all his teeth are in and, and so they, they very carefully dig out a block around him, and they take him back to the lab, and they very carefully and gently, and over time, they thaw him out because they want to study him. So they take, they take a lot of time to thaw him out, and he's dead. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> so did the fans, you know. But that's, I don't remember what he played. I don't remember how long the concert went on. I just remember him telling the story about the Iceman, and he was dead. <laughs> Live performances, folks. All right. Uh, I do want to wrap up with this before we uh, send off the podcast. Because Virginia Tech is not playing this week, I'm going to spend just a quick minute, two minutes. I'm going to have a couple of games in college football this week. Straight pick them. I just need – I'm going to look right to left, pick them, and I think next week we'll just see Chris or Will who uh, picked better in college football this week. You guys ready? Sure. Okay, here we go. Starting off first, number 17, Boise State at number 24, Oklahoma State at 330 kick. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State because that's what I want. <laughs> Notre Dame struggled with Ball State last week. Vanderbilt at number eight, Notre Dame, 230 kick. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Number 12, LSU at number seven, Auburn, 330 kick. Auburn. Hmm, I have no opinion on that one. It's like hugely awesome defensive lines beating up on each other, athletes all over the field. All SEC games look the same to me. LSU so. doesn't have a quarterback. That's why I'm picking. Go, I'll go with the home team. Well, uh, yeah, you're right, and it's on the road. Um, but we got to pick something different, so I'll, I'll go with LSU. <laughs> I just want to ask the spread on this one. Number one, Alabama at Ole Miss, 21-point favorites for the Crimson Tide. Do they cover? Yes. Yes. I bet they cover by a lot more than – The question is, do they cover in the first half? <laughs> <laughs> Number 22, uh, USC at Texas, 8 o'clock start on Fox. Hmm. I'm not particularly impressed with uh, either one. I, I guess I'll pick USC. What is Texas's record? One and one. Both one teams one. are one and one. Mm. I'm going to go with USC. No, no, no particular reason because I'm not very knowledgeable about college football in general, mainly the Hokies. I'm just going to pick USC. Okay. All right. That's where my boy Sam Darnold's from, so I'll go with the Trojans as well. Uh, number four, Ohio State 2-0. At number 15, TCU 2-0. Also an 8 o'clock kick. Mm. Boy, I really want TCU to win that game badly. I'll go with Ohio State. I think Ohio State's going to just annihilate them. Number 10, Washington at Utah. Final game. Is that a trap game for the Huskies? Yeah, Utah's always good, and they're always well coached. Uh, I will still pick Washington, though. I'll go with Washington on that. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of respect for Utah. I don't know anything about them. Um, 
I, I know they'll 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 give Washington as hard a time as they can. But I, I think I think Washington will win it. Our guy Bill Roth just called the uh, with Mike Golick Jr. Northern Illinois hosting Utah last week, which the Utes barely. Uh, snuck out that win there. So, uh, all right. So, last thing before we sign off, TechSideline.com uh, this week. Uh, what content do we have on the website? Oh man, I'm more. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, the the cancellation of the East Carolina game really threw uh, my content plans out of whack. But we'll have a Friday Q and A as usual uh, column today about the ECU cancellation. We'll have an Eric Carr article on Thursday about, uh, and it's, it'll be a game film article about things he's picked up with the defensive backs throughout the first two games. So despite the lack of a game this weekend, we should still have some pretty good content. So I am slated at some point I was going to do it next week because Tech had another home game, was supposed to have another home game this weekend. Um, I'm slated at some point to do an article on the size of the tailgating spots. You know, they painted lines. They did. Yeah, uh, that's true. I I've, I did not get a chance to walk around the lots before the game because we were out in Smithville and we walked directly to the game. I have been in the lots, though, and seen where the lines are, and there are areas where I thought the spots were awfully small. They really are. But I yes, was in lot two. But yesterday I was in lot one, and there were, there were some decent-sized spots there. So um, that's something I'm working on. I don't think that's going to happen this week. I think it will happen probably early next week. Um, but that's – so, anyway, the point I bring that up is if you're still listening to the podcast, thank you very much. Secondly, if you have an opinion, pictures, whatever, on the uh, new lines that they painted in the tailgating areas, uh, send me an email with your thoughts and pictures if you got them. My big thing is you can't play football anymore. I used to do that as a kid all the time. You can't play in the middle because cars are coming through. So Right behind my spot in Smithfield, which is the very first spot you come to when you come into the lot. Good to know. It's like a five-acre yard. And I could put my tent up anywhere I want Let me tell you what, man. we got plenty of room out there at Smithfield. fantastic. All right, Tech fans. Will you all enjoy uh, the weekend of – this is one of two weekends that Virginia Tech will be off. So enjoy it. Watch some college football. Tech Sideline Podcast will be back next week, likely dropping on Wednesday night. That will do it for this week's coverage of the Tech Sideline Podcast. For Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, my name is Evan Hughes saying so long. Have a great weekend, Tech fans.